The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. Negotiate Anything is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 3 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. I'm Kwame Christian, and I'm the director of the American Negotiation Institute. We're growing, and I want to introduce you to our new team members and new trainers. This will help to give you new, diverse perspectives on negotiation and conflict resolution. That's why I'm excited to let you know that Shane Martin, our head of sales and partnerships, is going to serve as co-host of the show from time to time. We are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that our team conducts negotiation and conflict resolution trainings in the United States and abroad. Our trainings will give you the practical skills you need to resolve conflict, negotiate, lead, and persuade with confidence. Click the link in the description below to learn how we can help to make your difficult conversations easier. And now, let's get to the show. Lynn, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Kwame. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is our pleasure, my friend. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I'm a Bronx girl, born and raised. Uh, I've stayed, but on my way to LA, I've been a conflict resolution strategist for over 40 years. So I help people to get in better relationship with conflict from the everyday to the really difficult conversations. And a lot of my work involves people really looking at the connection between culture and conflict, which a lot of people don't understand that to me they're they're cousins they they are really connected to one another I do work around diversity equity inclusion and belongings I I am the creator of on the matter of race which is a program for white people who are committed to taking the journey of learning about racism and taking action. And I am also the author of the book, Closing Conflict for Leaders, which really helps leaders, especially those with teams, to really have the foundation of conversations that lead to resolving conflicts or even to uh, intervening before the conflicts escalate, which would be great. So that's pretty much what I do besides being a mom to two uh, amazing young men. Lynn, I love this. And first of all, of course, I love it because I love conflict resolution just like you do. But I also love that you've tied this to culture and race as well, which is something that people really struggle with. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's it's interesting because those are really the hardest conversations to have. And a lot of times what I find is that companies, people's families, they go into it without a foundation for just being able to resolve conflicts, even on a basic level. So now you want people to talk about some some of the most heated topics 
that we have when we start talking about race and culture and they have no skills to even just talk about well why aren't you taking out the garbage every day or or why can't we work together on this project well so I, I love the work I love the work yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I didn't even mention this to you when we when we were chatting earlier, but I so my second book is coming out and it's going to come out in September of 2022. Um, how to have difficult conversations about race. So um, the, we are we are aligned in, in that regard. And you're absolutely right, because when a lot of times when we're doing some of our diversity, equity and inclusion work, because we, we do the negotiation trainings, conflict resolution trainings, but we also do DEI as well. They say, hey, help our people to talk about race and we do some consulting and some assessments and we say, hey, your people can't talk about anything. Um, so, <laughs> so, so we need to take a step back here, a walk before we run here. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm glad you're out there doing this good work because it's, it's really important. And this episode, so excited for this because we're going to talk about three main things. First, we're going to talk about how we can check and shift our mindset as we go through our negotiations. Then we're going to talk about the skill of strategic listening. And then lastly, we're going to wrap this up with a very important concept, how culture can influence negotiations. And so I love that you are blending these things together. This is great. So when, we, when we're talking about shifting our mindset, let's just take a step back and talk very broadly about what mindset means in the context of negotiation and difficult conversations. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure if folks have heard this before, that the battle is lost before you even say one word if your mind is really not set in the place of where you want to go, how you want it to happen, right? And what would be the outcome that you would truly like? A lot of times, negotiation is scary for people. I know you know that. And so, people don't even recognize that they're coming in with this mindset that either the person's never going to go for it or never going to give me what I want. This is always a difficult thing or this is a difficult person or I never get what I want out of this and or I'm just going to bulldoze my way through this. Like all these thoughts go through us that are not good for outcomes and negotiation that not just get us what we want, but also leave the, the other people in a place where they feel pleased about how things went and would like to talk with you again or see you again or work with you again or live with you still. <laughs> you know? So, so I, I think that people don't understand that the frame of mind that you go into negotiations with can lead you even when you think it's not. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And belief will have an impact on our actions. It will have an impact on how we are taken, how we uh, how we engage with the conversation. And so even if somebody listens and they say, you know what, I like what Lynn said. I, I don't like this conversation. I don't think it's going to go well. But Lynn said, I'm going to, I should have the conversation. So I'm going to have it. Well, kudos. First of all, on, on on overcoming your fear, that's step one. But that mindset is going to have a significant impact on the way that you perform. And, and in a lot of cases, it's going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, which leads to poor performance and then poor outcomes. And we, because of the way that we're thinking, we actually create the outcome that we feared the most. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And because 
Most people do not like conflict and negotiation. It's really around conflict. We're already going into it with a negative mindset and or or we're going into it with a war like mindset. And so that defeats everything right away. It's why so many people don't want to negotiate things that they actually can and a lot easier than they think they can because right away it's like, oh my gosh, I don't uh, I don't want to engage in any kind of conflict. Absolutely. And and Lynn, I'm sure I'm sure you've seen this in your work too because sometimes people have that revelation, "Oh, I should be having these conversations. Oh, I can be successful in these conversations and then I take action." And so what ends up happening, there're like two layers of shock where first it's like, "Wow, I didn't think I could do it, but I did it. I had the conversation." And then, "Wow, it worked." Yeah. That worked really. <laughs> that worked That's really right. well. That's yeah. right. Yes, and you know the mindset around planning for the conversation is crucial too. So many people, once they finally decide or get the courage that they're going to have the conversation, they're just going to throw themselves into it without really taking the time to think about. Well, big one do all the time. So how are you going to open that conversation? Well, I hadn't thought about that. You hadn't thought about how you're going to open it, but you know you're going to have it. Whoa, whoa. Because <laughs> that right there sets the stage. It sets the foundation. So at least know how you're going to open the conversation and practice it. There's nothing wrong with rehearsing what it is that you're going to say. And then really to work on sitting back, listening, and observing what the response reaction is to your opening up of the conversation. Yeah, it's it's so simple, but so overlooked. You know, the basic concept of practicing and thinking through it and considering how people will respond and multiple responses. They're not just going to say, wow, Lynn, brilliant. I'm on board. You know, we have to we have to anticipate a little bit of resistance. And I think as the listeners are hearing this, they're saying to themselves, okay, Lynn, I'm on board. It makes sense. Mindset need to have a big, a better mindset. But here's the thing. One of the things that I've noticed is that there is often a lack of self-awareness. And so a lot of times it's not only the fact that people have a, a mindset that is defeatist or unnecessarily combative or whatever it happens to be. It's that they don't recognize that it is a mindset that they have and they don't recognize that it can change. And if you don't have that awareness, then you can't make the necessary mindset shifts in order to have the outcomes and the performance that you want. That's right. And I and, and I do a lot around the body and the breath because to connect yourself to that allows you to put yourself in a place where you can actually center and focus, right? Uh, when we do uh, any kind of balance work, right? I, I'm a dancer. I grew up in ballet and you focus on a point in front of you and you stay focused. You're not going all over the place. You're actually right there all the time. It allows you to be balanced. Same thing when you're talking about negotiation, right? So let me be focused. How do I do that? Take a minute, a minute to just sit quiet, observe the breath, take three breaths, right? And then center yourself. Be ready with whatever it is you're going to open with and then sit back and be ready to observe and listen. Does your company invest in professional development training? 
If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. I love this. I love this. And and as they're centering themselves and they're starting to consider um, their mental state and they're considering this this podcast episode and they're saying, OK, my mindset. Now I know I know which mindsets I should not have. How would you describe the appropriate mindset for the conversation? What I would say is, uh, why are you in this? Why do you want to have this conversation? What are the important reasons for you? Not the fears, right? Uh, and not even the the uh, the negativity around it, but why is this important to you? Because I want to have a better relationship, because I want to raise, because everyone around is so tense and we have to have this conversation, because this person is important to me, because this job is important to me. Know the reason. Stay focused on that reason because trust and believe there are going to be lots of obstacles to you staying focused, but at least to know why are you even going into it? If you're going into it because I'm being forced to and I really absolutely am not going to want to do this and hate this and I'm not, that is not the right time to have the conversation. But 
if you can, knowing that fear is going to rise up and all kinds of objections, but if you can say to yourself, why is this important to me? And let me stay focused on that. Then you already, you, that's the mindset that you want to go into it with. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's great. And it, this is a perfect time for us to segue into that second point, which is the skill of strategic listening. Because if you have the appropriate mindset, it makes listening more effective, a bit more organic. But Lynn, I absolutely love the fact that you put a modifier before listening. And so when you say strategic listening, what does that mean? Strategic listening is listening in four boxes and knowing what to do with each of those boxes. So you're listening for the issues. What What is this about for this uh, this person, right? And you're listening for feelings. And people don't like to go into feelings, but feelings guide a lot of conversations. So what are the feelings either expressed or through words or unexpressed, but you can, you can hear it, right? You can feel it. What are feelings that are coming up? And then here's the big one, values. What does this person value because what they value is what this conflict and what this negotiation sits on so you've got to speak to that right so wow so it's, it sounds like you you value respect oh, it sounds like you value honesty right you've got to speak to that and then the kicker positions it's one of the things that I've seen people do is get derailed by positional statements what I call positional statements like if you don't give me then I will right I'll quit or or I ruin you or right? I'll never speak to you again and then we start going off trying to negotiate that piece when the reality is if you stick to those first three boxes if you stick to talking about the issues what's the issues are for them if you talk about the feelings and then you you talk about the values for the people when you satisfy those three boxes you can come back around to those positional statements and they're like, ah you know I was just mad or I was I was really angry or I just thought you weren't going to give me <laughs> all of the reasons why we never want to derail the conversation and the progress by going after the positional statements. And really, people throw out positional statements because you're not addressing the other three boxes for them. There are so many directions to go with this, Lynn, that I, as a podcast host, am overwhelmed. Let's just pick one and go for it. Um, so let's use the recency bias and I'll focus on positions. Now, when it comes to positions, this, this I think, um, and the way that you described it is kind of the next level from getting to yes. When you think about Fisher and Yuri with that seminal book of uh, getting to yes, they talk about uh, collaborative negotiation versus positional bargaining, where people just say, I want this, and the other person says, I want that, and then they say, hmm, there's a gap between us. Let's say it louder. That's how negotiation used to be. Um, but, but now, when we're talking about positions, I think people are more aware of the collaborative negotiation style, but this doesn't change the fact that humans, by definition, by like by design, are not great at negotiation and, yes, and uh, yes. conflict <laughs> resolution. And what you said was really, really powerful, and I don't want the listeners to miss it. And tell me if I'm summarizing this the right way with the example that you gave, because 
in these conversations, if somebody is more emotional, they're going to state their positions with more force, more vigor, more power, all those things. But if we focus on listening in those three other boxes, if we focus on the issues, if we focus on the, the feelings and we focus on the values and the person feels heard and appreciated, sometimes those positions, those really staunch and hard positions can magically seem to disappear. Yeah. Well, and it seems like magic, but what it is, is that you address what they really wanted addressed, right? We're used to putting our foot down and standing in this and I'm not moving. And we see so many more examples of that than we do of people having the really difficult conversations in positive ways. So what what's really happening is not magically disappearing. It's that you are addressing the heart of the matter for them. Yes, I want these three things, right, as issues and you are absolutely feeling invalidated. You're feeling invisible. You're feeling uh, hurt, right? Uh, 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 abandoned. There's so many different things. First of all, we don't even talk about feelings from any space other than anger or if it's happiness, right? We, we, we don't even know. Uh, I, I believe that in, in English, there's uh, well over 300 feelings. It may even be 3,000. Don't, don't quote me, but I know there's well over 300 feelings, right? And we get to maybe three or four of those feelings. So getting to what's really happening here, right? Embarrassed, right? Whatever that feeling is, being able to name that for those people people and being able to say and so and you're valuing your authority you're valuing being respected you're valuing uh, the way that you're being spoken to I mean the the values of what everything else sits on and so being able to say that to someone not just they're not just being heard they're being seen right I believe values make you seen wow you see me so yeah so we may not have gotten to exactly what I want yet but now I'm in the position to go hmm I'm interested now because they've shown me that they're starting to get me. Yeah, 100 percent. And Lynn, this reminds me of one of the uh, a negotiation that I had that was really tough. Um, it got to the point. It was when I was practicing a lot, uh, practicing law. And um, the, the two CEOs were sending um, insulting emails back and forth. I said, oh, we've gotten to the sandbox here. OK, I th- we've devolved. Um, and so I remember we were we were having the conversation and um, I co- coached my client through it. I said, hey, at certain points, th- this is what I'm going to handle. Um, this is what you're going to handle. And and um, it was a Zoom call, and uh, while we were having the conversation, the uh, the guy was focusing on his positional statements, and he was saying them with with anger. He was really, really dug in, and I was texting my client. I said, "Let me handle it. Let me handle it. Don't say anything. <laughs> Just let me handle it." Please. And so, <laughs> and so I said, after he said all of that, what I did is I I just summarized it to to show him that I heard, and now I have the language to explain it, focusing on the issues, focusing on the values and then lastly focusing on the feelings and I said hey correct me if I'm wrong but it it seems like with everything that happened you seem a little you feel a little bit offended by the way that this was handled and so he he you could see like his whole body soften you know you could visibly see it and he looked up in the sky and he he said well I I wouldn't say offended but I would just say kind of taken aback and you could hear everything calm down and that was the turning point but again did I give him anything no did I concede any points that he made? 
No, I just listened, showed him that I listened and show him that he, I saw him. And then the position just started to soften and then melt away. And the conversation became a lot more productive. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And tell me if this is something you experience. Um, I've, I've, dis, I've disclosed this many times on the podcast and I have been uh, very relieved to hear that other um, negotiation and conflict resolution experts feel the same way. And I hope you do too, or else I'm going to end the interview shortly. Um, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Now, it seems like for me, I can do a really good job of doing this in an actual negotiation it, with a in the business world. If I'm representing a client in law, if I'm negotiating or helping a, uh, one of the, our consulting clients, I can think really strategically. And the strategic listening is it's easier. It comes to me more easily. But then at home, if I'm talking to my wife, um, my family, or my friends, and it gets a little bit heated, it's like I have no skills at all. Um, and is does. Is this something that you've seen? Don't don't, don't press eject. And I'll tell you why. Because I have a, my, my youngest son who has been brought here to teach me that exact lesson that you can't just do it in business. You've got to do it at home too. So yeah, I started out that way doing really badly. But now, and 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 he he lives here within the same, and he's a great talker. He just is, and and so I now can lead with the skills. It doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of times though where I walk away and go, ah, this is where you blew it. But I go back and I say, this is where I blew it. I'd love to have a second chance at this conversation, and and then we go. Yeah, but oh. uh, but otherwise, I would agree with you. I would say. Three years ago, I would agree with you that I was just a hot mess when it came to you know doing it at, at home. But now, much better at it. But uh, I believe in second. I believe in asking for second chances. That's the other thing around negotiation that I have found. People really think, well, if you blew it, that's it. And I say, go back and acknowledge it, own it, and then ask, can I do this again? Can we can we speak again? It's rare, and I mean even strangers that, that's happened with me. It's rare that the person says no. They, they're so stunned, number one, because who does that, right? And then they and then they just say, okay, you know, shoot your best shot. And, um, and I will say, pretty much every time, it has turned around to be a really positive result. This is great. So I'm not going to end the interview. Um, this was a great answer. <laughs> so there is hope, and I appreciate that. That's good to know, and uh, that's good for the listeners to know as well. But you, you just dropped a a strategy that is so simple, but almost nobody uses it. Hey, I'm not perfect. I'll make mistakes. I'm going to fail in these conversations. That's okay because redemption is a thing. I'm going to humble myself and have the conversation and let them know, hey, that conversation didn't go well because I did A, B, and C. I apologize. Would you give me another chance? I, I think that is really, really great. And it's so important for people to realize because it will make them more likely to engage in the conversation because they realize that there is hope for recovery if a mistake is made. Yes. Oh, and I, I and I'm going to say to your listeners, 
this is a great strategy. It is one that we are not taught, we are afraid of, but I am telling you, you would be surprised at how many people will give you that second chance. But as long as you're on, you're willing to own it because how many people today own their mistakes and, you know, and then ask for another chance. So yeah, thank you for, this is a very important strategy that I hope your listeners will, will try because you will make mistakes. <laughs> we all will. Yes, 100%. And now, Lynn, this is something that um, people have asked me a number of times, and I want to get your thoughts on this, because we understand that really the core of having these difficult conversations is listening. We want to use this strategic listening, like you said, listening in these four boxes, issues, feelings, values, positions. Now, as we're thinking about transitioning from listening to eventually, at some point, sending our message... I know there's a bit of an art and science to this. So for you, in your experience, how do you know when it is time to listen and ask more questions versus when it's actually time to make your point? Yeah, great question. I, I Usually I listen for, am I hearing the same thing uh, again, right? So if I'm hearing it a second time, then I, I will say to myself, you haven't addressed it yet. You haven't hit it yet, right? And so... If I've got enough information, then I'm going to say, hey, I want to just say what I've heard so far, right? Wrapping up everything, and I'd love to respond to this, especially if they've been talking a while, right? I want to make sure that I'm not losing everything. If I've, if I've listened, you've talked, I've asked questions, I'm, I'm clear now, I'm clear on what it is that I want to go in there and respond to, then I'm going to say, again, one more time, repeating back what I've, what I've heard, got it right, great, I want to respond to that, and then I go in. So it's pretty much that most people want to do it right out the gate, right? Okay, I listened once. <laughs> now I'm going to get money. No, really ask, have the courage to say, is there anything else? What else do I need to know here, right? That's important. And listen again, listen in those boxes, repeat it back. And I go one more time, I do three. I'm just like, okay, and I just want to ask again, anything else? Okay, right, got that. Now, I'd really like to respond. And here's what I want to say about, and then know what you are responding to. That's the other thing. Everybody wants to kind of do this giant smorgasbord. Like they want to respond to the whole thing. I break it up, right? So on this point, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say to this. Here's what I would like to say to that. Yes. Oh, this is good. This is good. Um, I have another story, Lynn. I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Um, story time with Kwame Christian. Thanks for listening. Right. I appreciate it. <laughs> so here we go. So I remember one time I was having a conversation with my mom and she disagreed with a decision that I made with my son, Kai. I don't even remember what it was. But, you know, anytime your parent is giving you advice on parenting, it just I. I don't know. It's very annoying. <laughs> I love my mom to death, <laughs> but I just like, come, come on. But anyways, and so I said, listen, I am going to focus on listening effectively. And what I did was this. I just said, all I'm going to do 
is I'm going to use the compassionate curiosity framework. I'm just going to stay in number one and number two. I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to acknowledge and validate emotions. I'm going to get curious with compassion and I'm not going to go to step three, joint problem solving yet. I'm going to do it until I hear her completely. And so I just cycled through it over and over and over again for about 15 minutes. And I just said, is anything else? Good. Summarize, summarize, summarize. And then I said, okay, anything else? She said, no. And she's like, are you okay? <laughs> I said, yes, I just want to make sure <laughs> that I'm listening effectively and I have a full understanding of where, where you stand. And she said, well, I appreciate that. And then I took like three minutes to explain myself after I heard her and she said, oh, I agree with <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> that was it, you know. And I'll tell you though, Lynn, the thing that was really fascinating, um, just kind of looking at it as not only as the part participant, but almost trying to be a, an objective observer, like a scientist. But I could actually feel what I was feeling. It was physically painful to do. Like I could feel tension resin like registering through my chest and my abdomen throughout the conversation. And so I, I think it's important for the listeners to realize that this is easier said than done. And it's going to take a lot of restraint and it's going to take a lot of practice because you are really actively at working against your natural inclinations in this moment, because you're going to want to say something, but that's often not the right thing to do at that time. Yes, agreed. And then you got to give the gift of listening and also recognize that the the more of a relationship that you have with the other person, the more painful physically it's probably going to be, right? Because it's sitting on some history and you're talking about mom. Now, come on, mom relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that one is well, it can be filled with so much tension and definitely history, right? And especially when you're trying to change the game. Right, because you know we know our we know their patterns. I have a similar story for for me is that I I really I used just even paraphrasing for the first time with my mom and and really got in there and and got to what she was saying and she just didn't know what to do. She just looked totally confused. Like, I don't know what to do with this because usually I just like ram all over you. You go for me and, and nothing really gets done. But this time sitting back listening, paraphrasing, she was like, oh, this is all brand new. Now, what do I do? So I just got in there and just acknowledged you're right. Like in we. I can see that you're not used to what I'm doing because usually we go at each other. But now I'm really trying to understand what it is that you're saying to me because I, I really feel like I haven't heard you. And I want you to know that I, that I really do want to hear you this time and that it's slowly over time you know, <laughs> slowly over time. But that I know was the turning point for the slowly over time changing the way that we uh, interact with each other in difficult conversations. Oh, that's great. That is great. And I, I know we're coming up on time, Lynn, but I want to make sure we have we save time for culture and how culture can influence negotiation. So when you think about culture, let's just let's start off with an operational definition for how you are considering culture what how would you define it for the audience oh i would say that it is all of the, the the best definition lord i wish i could remember the the author of the best definition but it is like the air that we breathe right it, it is all it is within us and all around us uh, and it influences 
everything we do. So culture is uh, everything from our, our beliefs and attitudes. It's our it's a norms, right? It's the way in which we interact with each other that really carries history and generational history at that. It is the way that we uh, it influences how we dress. It influences things like right how we where we look when we're talking to people it influences things like who is going to be the talking so for me it is uh, it's one of those things that I guess it's easily ignored that's why I like the definition around it's like the air that we breathe is easily ignored because we don't really see it but it's here influencing us even when we do not know or are conscious of its influence. And then even worse, when we are conscious, we use it like a weapon at times. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. So we need to go into that one. So can you can you talk more about that point? That's really interesting. So I'll give you a, a good example that sits with me. I for, for so long, I spent my life in the helping profession and I'm still in the helping profession. So that's what, what I like about the shift is that, but in the helping profession, in which I grew up, uh, African-Americans owed each other, their communities, a debt, a society, you know, some kind of societal debt to help each other because of racism and all of the things that have been against us. And so I grew up in a family of people who really believe that you don't go after the money, you go after helping folks. And if that means that you don't get paid the best salaries, but you do the best that you can, right, with what you get the goal is to help the community do better and after a while I just said yo the community may be doing better but I am not And I just feel like I can do service but do it differently and so I said it to my dad who had you know three jobs my whole life and all of them were uh, around service and I said dad I I think I'm going to do more work in the corporate space like I really want to work in that space because I believe that I they have the the funds to pay me better right for the work that I'm doing and it's valuable and my dad looked at me he said oh so you're gonna go from the needy to the greedy huh and I just thought, wow. And do you know that derailed me for three years? Because culturally, I really, really has been drummed into me that I do owe my community not only this debt, but almost to be poor in a way too, because that humbled me and that that said that I understood, you know, the my roots and and for three years. I did not make the moves that I wanted to make because of that statement. And that's why I say we use it as a weapon sometimes because we will say these these things, these cultural statements, right, to each other as a way to keep people in line and keep them in their place. And it isn't just the black community. I, I can tell you that I have colleagues and friends in all kinds of communities. And there are many communities, my friends who are Asian talk about Asian shame and how that's used as a weapon, right? And there's just so many different uh, examples that have been told to me once I start sharing my things and it is used in many ways to make people act in ways that the culture is comfortable with. 
This is really fascinating because I've always thought about culture almost as this um, invisible force that's having an impact, right? The, the general way that we do things and we don't fully appreciate the impact that it's having on us. I've never considered intentionally weaponizing the culture to keep people to uh, in their place or doing different things. Because when you think about the definition, like a simple way of conceptualizing persuasion, it's having a conversation with somebody or not even having a conversation. Let's just say getting somebody to do something that they otherwise would not have done or believe something that they otherwise would not have believed. And so when what your father did in that case was very persuasive because had you not had that conversation, hypothetically, you might have changed your career, your life trajectory three years earlier and you would have done it. But he didn't provide any data, any facts, any rationale. All he did was use one tool and use it very, very persuasively. He used culture and said, oh, okay, you're going outside of the way that we do things here. Yes, right? Without using those words, because that's the thing about culture, right? When you know the culture, you don't you don't have to use specific words. You can say something and you know that the person understands what it is you're really saying when you say that thing. <laughs> There's so many, <laughs> there's so many interesting applications here. It's like, um, it's one of those things where I'm going through all my life and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, culture was weaponized in this case. You know, for example, I'm a, I'm a, a Buckeye, a proud Buckeye, uh, three degrees from Ohio State, the Ohio State University here. And um, so, but I'm also a Caribbean American, right? So our, our people, we like to wear colorful clothing. Yellow looks really good. Uh, it complements my complexion very well. Now, fun fact. In fact, when I was coming to school, I had a lot of yellow in my wardrobe, but the problem is at Ohio State, our rivals are the Michigan Wolverine maize and blue yellow and so like the responses that i got oh yellow kwame i was like what oh uh, go ahead and wear yellow they didn't tell me not to i'm like oh we don't do that here okay <laughs> right noted right and then when i went home one day I, I i looked in my closet years after graduation no yellow <laughs> no still you know that's just not the way we do things and i think this is really interesting because we could think about this in terms of persuasion versus manipulation. Because when it comes to the distinction between the two, the way I think about it is that it's intent, but there are ways that you can have an impact on somebody by using this. And really, it could push somebody to do something that is not in their best interest. But you can hide behind plausible deniability and say, but I didn't tell you not to do that. That's right. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you that my dad knew exactly what he was doing. So my dad was a great dad, always encouraging of us. But this one thing, right, this was the thing. And, and really, there was nobody else in my family. And I have a big extended family that, that was going in that direction. Everybody else was in the service. He never, in those three years that I didn't make the move, he never asked me. So what did you decide about corporate or how's corporate going? Never asked me because he knew that what he used was enough. Wow, wow. And so now, now for everybody listening, how do we factor this in, in our negotiations and difficult conversations? Yeah, well, I think most people don't weaponize culture, uh, but it's it so recognized, right, when it's happening. But I was gonna say one of the most uh, impactful 
wonderful things that happened for me is that I was teaching a course actually on culture and conflict at a university and there were graduate, not just graduate students, but there were actually business people who were allowed to come into the course as well. And so I started talking about eye contact and how it's different in different cultures and what that really means. And and for here in the United States, Western culture, it's very much looking someone in the eye. I mean, I was taught that too, right? That you look someone in the eye and you let them know that you are not only giving the respect, but that you're worthy of the respect as well. And I said, and every culture doesn't do that. And I have worked in schools a lot and have seen immigrant children getting into trouble because they weren't looking their teachers in the eye. And so this uh, gentleman from Pakistan, he raised his hand, he said, thank God you said that. And I said, why? He said, I don't know if you noticed, but this whole time you've been talking, I've been doing this up and down, like looking up and down. And he says, what is happening is that in my country, you're a person of authority. So I look down and then I remember, oh, I'm in America. So I look up and he's like, but because culture is so natural, my eyes go down again. And then I go, remind yourself you're in America. And I look up and he said, so thank you for saying this because number one, I can acknowledge that this is a struggle for me, but also other people are hearing this because I've been accused of not respecting authority by doing this. And the reality is I thought I was respecting authority. So really understanding that culture can influence anything from eye contact. And when we talk about conversation, you got to know that you can't just judge whether someone is really uh, paying attention or respecting you by one culture, right? Particularly you're in Western culture and it's like, they've got to look me in the eye. And then people will also judge that. Well, they should know that here we do this. It, it isn't just about knowing. This gentleman knew that was the struggle. But because culture is so within us, he was naturally doing what was the cultural norm for him. So knowing, really acquainting yourself with some of the things about culture that are really important when you are really in a negotiation, when you're in a conversation is going to be incredibly important. If you're in a conversation and there is a gender issue, right? Um, noticing who's speaking more and, and who's speaking less. And can you give the opportunity for that? Or are you placing someone in a difficult situation? Or are you asking them to do something that they are not culturally comfortable with by taking the lead? I mean, that is something that is really important as well. Are you taking silence? for non-action. Oh my gosh, there is so much action in silence. I, I do a lot of work around getting comfortable with silence and taking that. A lot of, of my clients who are Asian who speak about that and just the respect around being silent that you're showing to authority, but also the, the work you're doing on really thinking and 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 really trying to understand what's being said and then showing respect, right? Uh, really just 
not shaming them if you're disagreeing with something or thinking of how to say this the right way or to not say anything at all because that's so much more respectful than challenging them. Those are all things that if you aren't even aware that those are possibilities that could be happening right before you, then your negotiation could very quickly fail. There is... Oh, man, there's so much to cover. And so we're going to have to have you back <laughs> to, to cover the rest. This is great, Lynn. We really appreciate it. And before you go, make sure to let the listeners know about you, your books, and how they can get in touch with you, too. Yes, you can. Uh, Lynn Maureen Hurdle, Lynn with an E on the N. MaureenHurdle.com. That's where you can find me and my work. And my book is on Amazon and it's Closing Conflict for Leaders. And you can also find the information on, on the matter of race on my website as well. And I, I'm just excited to have had this conversation with you, really and truly, Kwame. Thank you so much. And thank you, all, all of the listeners. I'm praying this is helpful to you because I know it's been helpful to me and my clients. Yes. Oh, Lynn, we really appreciate it. Thanks for spending your time with us today. Thank you. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.